Ladies and gentlemen. Steven Spielberg. Well, in a moment, one of these 10 movies will join a list that includes On the Waterfront, Midnight Cowboy, The Godfather, and The Deer Hunter. The other nine will join a list that includes The Grapes of Wrath, Citizen Kane, The Graduate, and Raging Bull. <laughs> Either way, congratulations. You're all in very good company. And the nominees for Best Motion Picture are Black Swan, The Fighter, Inception, The Kids Are All Right, The King's Speech, 127 Hours, The Social Network, Toy Story 3, True Grit, Winter's Bone. And the Oscar goes to The King's Speech, Ian Canning, Emile Sherman, and Gareth Unwin Producers. actually liked the book better than the movie. So we have a very special guest with us today, Mr. Charles. Um, today we're going to be discussing the 2010 Best Picture Oscar winner, The King's Speech, and its worthiness of that title compared to one of its fellow nominees, The Social Network. Uh, so we have one side, Mr. Eric, representing The Social Network, and on the other side we have Mr. Charles, representing The King's Speech. The discussion today is going to range from what makes each of these movies great, their profound effect on our two plaintiffs, and a larger discussion of the best picture race in general and how each film uh, fits into the narrative of the Academy Awards. Can I jump in there, Will? I don't um, believe that the King's Speech has made any effect on Charlie. Charlie, would you like to respond to that? <laughs> is that is that how we're starting? I was going to jump in and say something completely different. You cannot, re you cannot reply to my I'll come back to that idea. To I'll come back to that idea in, in the case of civility. Um, the point I did want to make is that what a year for filmmaking, in all seriousness, you have, forget King's Speech and The Social Network. I mean, between, you have three other movies, Black Swan, The Fighter, and Inception, which you could easily have the same conversation with. Uh, it's and Toy Story 3. I mean, it's an incredible year. Winter's Bone, I know that's a favorite of yours. It's just, this is quite a year for filmmaking. You're not a big 127 hours guy. I saw it, I moved on. I've, this was not one that, but, uh, stuck with me. That's kind of upsetting. 
I really liked 127 Hours. But, no, you're definitely right. 2010 um, was a big, big year for movies. Um, but we're not talking about the rest of these movies. We're talking about two. The most important. Sure, but uh, the point I'm making is, I mean, you could easily uh, swap the social network for Inception here. And you... Or the King's Speech for Black Swan. Sure, sure. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, we're focused on these two movies, but I, I want to open it up and just say, you know, what, what a fucking year. Yeah, that's true. You're right. It was okay. a good year. Okay. Point noted. Thank you, Mr. Charles. Moving on. Eric. Yeah, Why so, are we having this discussion? Sorry, Will. Um, we're talking in the same mic, and uh, I don't want to lean too far into your personal space. No, um, lean in, baby. We mentioned that this is the year 2010, um, and now we're living in the year 2020. So it, it's sort of a nice 10-year, clean, American way to represent like how things have changed, right? Is it an American way? Well, they do the, the base 10. What? Is that right? I mean... <laughs> Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so it's the 10-year anniversary of these two films. Um, this has been, maybe Charlie, you can you have some insight here. I don't remember how this started, but at some point it became a running like bit between the two of us or the three of us that I am Team Social Network and you are Team The King's Speech. Yeah. And for whatever reason, you have held on to this these many years later. So, th- you know, this is something you got into on the first podcast when you talk about The Social Network, but this... This was a big year for you in terms of like when you started watching movies and started thinking about them critically and, and in your life as a wannabe film writer or, you know, any, any, just you started thinking about them in a different way. And I think we both, the similar experience for me, you know, we, I came into this and these movies came into my life at a, at a point that was very impactful. Would you say this is your, like the biggest year for you? Because I, I think about like the 20, 2009 class of movies and I, I don't remember a lot of them. I know that there's a Tarantino movie in there. Avatar is like the big one in my memory. The Hurt Locker, I guess. But like those movies didn't make as big of an impact as like the class of 2010. Yeah, I mean, I already said 2010, you know, we might, we could go toe-to-toe with any year of the filmmaking ever. I think this is a phenomenal year of, of achievement in film. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it was our, our second full year of college, right? So we were, probably had a better idea of what we were, trying to do with our lives as yeah. much as you can when you're 19 but there was like you and i started talking like more personally about filmmaking and it was just uh you know you were always team social network and i was team you know give the best picture to the king's speech and i think that just kind of ran for 10 years yeah and now it's over right this is this is the end of this after today not to, not to get too ahead but sure it's the end of this <laughs> <laughs> maybe uh, it's just the beginning yeah i think it's just the beginning so, um, before we get into each um, plaintiff's argument here to discuss uh, why they liked their film so much over the other one, we're going to go over some plaintiff statistics here. So, Mr. Charles, height is 6'1", hair color is blonde, age 29, is that correct? Yes. He was born in any town, USA. Um, he got a BA in finance. That's not true, but keep going. <laughs> he had a minor in filmmaking. I appreciate the finance. Thank you. Of course. And from William and Mary, um, current social societal status, a renter, single, ready to mingle, independent thinker. Sometimes. And how are you feeling, Mr. Charles? I'm doing well. I'm excited to be back on the podcast. I know your listeners have been asking for me to return, so I'm glad to be back. We've had one person ask for you, yeah. and it wasn't you, so that's... Uh... Yeah, you know. That's our entire listenership, so yeah. it's 100%. I'm not joking. Your listeners you hit me up in the DMs all the time saying, you know, when are you going to be back on the podcast? I think you're, you're certainly a top five guest. 
Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the number one. We'll see how this episode goes. Yeah, yeah. You're the you're actually you're not you're not even our only second time guest. You're our second second time guest. Oh, that's true. Chris Avampato. So, you have big shoes to fill, Charlie. But maybe if this goes well, there'll be a third one. You know, I'm not a published author, but I'm on IMDb, so. <laughs> <laughs> that is a factual statement. And then his opponent, Mr. Eric, height 5'11". My driver's license says six feet. Almost six feet. Uh, hair color is dirty blonde slash red. Uh, how do you categorize it? Whatever you want. You made fun of me for being a redhead last episode, so. Yeah. We'll it's it. quite it's quite blonde. Yeah. I don't know if it's changed at all. It's got but... like red undertones. Yeah. Kind of... it's, it's everything. It's, every it's every other of part of your body is red, though. Your, your skin, <laughs> your, your, all your other hair. You know? Yeah, that's true. My beard is very red. And you are 29, is that correct? Yes. Um, and Eric was actually born at Georgetown University Hospital, 8.7 ounces, um, in Washington, D.C. So I actually don't know if that's the right weight, but it sounds good. Eight, eight pounds, seven ounces. Not 8.7 <laughs> ounces. What did I say? <laughs> uh, that's what I said, right. So, academic degrees, BA in English from UVA. Um, current societal status, homeowner, married, golden retriever, and a writer. How are you feeling today, Mr. Eric? I'm feeling I'm feeling excellent. I like that my status is golden retriever. Yeah, it's dog ownership is now like a yeah. qualification. Yeah, yeah, it's like a it's like a kid in these days. You know? Yeah, a furry kid. Yeah, but the, the, crucially, um, Charlie is allergic to dogs. So yes. our whole ploy in recording this episode at my house is to intoxicate Charlie with uh, Grippy's fur. It's already started. You know they have to do these tricks to get me off my game. <laughs> You know, there was the debate last night, uh, number one, with Mr. Trump and Mr. Biden. I feel like this is going to be a similar kind of contentious affair, but... I'll say, I'm not here to be contentious. I'm here to have a discussion, not a debate. I'm here as a friend. I hope it's contentious, just as a third party. Okay, we're going to see what happens. So, Mr. Charles, would you like to start off and tell us why the King's speech means so much to you? Sure. So, this movie, this film is it, it's objectively a, a well-made good film it, it the script is very solid it's funny it's witty it's extremely well acted um the direction is impeccable it's it's a simple story but it's it's difficult in the accomplishment that they were able to get you know make to to dramatize uh overcoming a physical disability i think writing a story about that is is quite impressive and, you know, it, it's got historical context. You know, that's something that I am interested in. I know other people, maybe not necessarily, you know, sick of he seeing World War II movies or whatever, or talking about the royal family. Um, and I will admit, if you view this from an originality standpoint, you know, these two things in mind, it maybe is below average. As I said, I mean, World War II, how many movies about the World War II, about the royal family? And if that's your definition of what makes the best picture winner what makes what is worthy of this award then i will agree this is not the best picture winner it, it, it is oscar bait and i i 100 agree with that but it's also a really good film i will say that as a world war ii movie there is not a lot of world war ii right it's it's like hinted at off screen there mm -hmm. are conversations about hitler there are conversations about like the impending war but it's really like a chamber piece. There's like four or five locations 
you move back and forth. Like, this could easily be a play. Yeah. So it, it was originally written as a play. Yeah. Um, and I think one of your one of your points about, like, having a main character overcoming a disability is, like, critical. Because the acting in this movie is so good. Yeah. Um, I forget. I, I read the screenplay, actually, earlier today. And I was expecting the writer to write the stutter. And I know that the, the writer um, had a stutter. I remember that from the Oscars. He came up and had to overcome it. But So this was, like, personal to him. That was the That was my favorite moment of that ceremony i don't know if you remember he got up there and he's the first thing he said was my father always said to me i would be a late bloomer and he's 73 winning his first academy award his first nomination wow yeah yeah that's kind of wild i, I did not know that yeah um and then a big laugh in the auditorium well that's i mean it's a sweet thing to say um and then you mentioned the royal family i do feel like yeah today you know we have the crown everybody and their mother is obsessed with like Britishism, Down Abbey, the Ro- Down Abbey, yeah. Um, but this is a, a part of the royal family that is like not super central. Like George the Sixth, yes, is not a big. He's not a big topic of like writing because the interesting part about him is his brother and his daughter. Yeah, and so he sort of gets left behind in the royal conversation. I don't think there's. I don't think this story was like very well-known his stutter and, and the exact relationship with the real Lionel character. Um, so. so, yeah, maybe it was like a unearthed a little bit because of this movie. And you never know what kind of liberties are taken when you're making a Hollywood film, but... Speaking of liberties, the social network, right? Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I quite like this movie. Um, I think what is important to mention about it is just that it, it's, it is small. It's a small movie. It's done really well. Yeah, but it's 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 smaller in scope, it's smaller in scale, it's smaller in story than the Social Network, and I think as we talk about the Oscars or as we talk about films in general, I do think you need to give credit to a story or a film that tries to do a little bit more and lands it maybe just as effectively. That that's certainly a component. I it's it's like a it's a combination of everything. You know, it's a mosaic. It's not. It's not one thing. It's not everything. What's the one thing that'll like stand out to you most? For me, the acting. I think Colin Colin Firth is superb in this movie. Yeah. He's, it's also a lot funnier than. Yeah, absolutely. You, it's very witty. Yeah, like if you were to just look at this, you wouldn't think it's very funny at all. Right. But I legitimately really laughed and cried. This is a factual statement. Did you you cried in twenty ten or like when you rewatched? I it? cried last night watching it. At the end, his his uh, overcoming. His disability. It's a great scene. That's a yeah. The end of the story of time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so tell me a little bit about more about Tom Hooper and why you think um, that his role in the film was so important. Or... So when I going back to talking about when this movie entered my life, you know, I I'm a big believer as I kind of try to get interested in filmmaking. You know, Picasso said, "Good artists borrow." great artist steal and i for sure took that mindset and as i as i watched movies that i liked and saw things in them that i liked i made mental notes of it and was like this is something that i would want to incorporate if i was making a movie and one of the things that i've, I've always kind of really liked its effect in filmmaking is the use of wide angle lens shots and so this is something that kubrick does a ton of and that's why he's one of my favorite filmmakers and this film for sure tons of tons of shot using the wide angle lenses 
Um, it's used to make Colin Firth's character, you know, feel small, feel unimportant. You know, it, it's the, the first scene where he meets Lionel is shot very well, very very well. Where he's sitting on the couch. Yeah. I didn't think of that. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So there, there are a lot of things that he does. I, you know, there's not a ton of camera movement. There's not a ton of uh, different scenes in this movie. There's not like some crazy shots, but there's some very well shot parts to this movie. I think it's well composed. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I, I do, I do find the shots where it's like Colin Firth's mouth in front of a microphone are like pretty compelling. Just knowing the like nature of like speaking and the importance of speaking in the movie, mm-hmm. yeah. I, didn't, I didn't pick up on that like immediately until later but he also does this thing where where it's between lionel and king uh george VI, where one of them it's a close-up and one of them is only on half the screen and i think maybe you introduced me to this and then he f- turns to the other character and he's his face is on the other side of the screen that's only half half and half yeah um i just i'd never seen anything like that before where he's switching back and forth on the screen but the characters are on opposite sides just in close-ups yeah I thought that was really cool. I agree. You know, we're not we're not rewriting film history here, but it's it's a very well made film. There's a lot of promise. Like I think if you if you watch this movie and you saw that it was directed by Tom Hooper, you got a lot of Tom Hooper stock, right? And in 2010, you're probably I, or 2020, you're probably shorting that stock. Well, well, maybe you're maybe not. Are you shorting Tom Hooper stock? Are you, are you... I haven't seen Cats, and I never will watch Cats. Um, sure, I'd, I'd short a stock. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like him, but... It's already, I guess it depends what's next. If he can get enough money to do Cat, I think Cats was, like, career-destroying. I think, like, I don't know if he's ever going to work again in a major film for a while. Could be. COVID also has totally destroyed part of that industry right so maybe there is just going to be a total reset after or if you are like dead on arrival you're even more dead now because we have literally no risk tolerance anymore yeah so that's a different conversation that's a eric when were you introduced to the movie did you watch it and then you found out later that charlie was a big fan of it or was it the other way around i don't exactly remember i don't at some point, I made it like my mission every year to watch all of the Oscar-nominated films. I didn't do that this year because I've I have never seen The Kids Are All Right, but I've seen eight of nine or however if there's nine of ten. I, that's the only one I'm missing. Um, so I don't I can't remember when it came into my life, but I think more or less like the value of this movie to me is in trying to make Charlie like a little upset. Yeah, I mean, there was, always, there was always that aspect of this. Yeah. Because I, I actually quite like this movie. I, I, think it's, um, I think it's a good movie. And I also think it's a good, like, nap movie. Like, if it's rainy and it's Sunday and you throw it on. It used to be on Netflix. It's not on Netflix anymore. Throw it on. It's like Shawshank a nap movie? I think so. Yeah. I think there... At some point, it's just... It, it becomes so familiar that you can just fall asleep to it. But... Did we all watch it last night? I did. I watched it. Did yeah. you watch it last night? I did not. Oh, okay. I, I did it I, last night. Oh, then you didn't fall asleep? No, I guess uh-huh. not. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not like... I watched Chef's Table legitimately to fall asleep and take naps. I wouldn't actually nap to this movie. Can, can we... Uh, I don't know where we are on the agenda, but can we, can we go to the, the... You want to talk about why 
best picture matters, right? Yeah. Let's get into it. All right. Can you can you talk about that? So so I want to know two things. I want to know how what you define like what is a best picture? Like what what uh what qualifications do you give this award every year if you were a critic or a voter? So do you want to have a conversation that is like um like gilded and like we're blowing smoke up each other's ass about the Oscars or do you want to like because I have two minds about it, right? There's the cynic in me that is like the Oscars exist for Hollywood to promote itself and they decide these yes. 15 movies that's, that's are correct. important. That's correct. And we want you to watch them. That's correct. I mean, they're, they're, both are true. The Oscars are political and they're absolutely, they're a marketing play, but they're, it's also like a recognition of achievement in film. Yeah. I, yeah, you're right. They're both true at the same time. Yeah. Um, so, but you're moving, at, moving aside the cynic, cynical, you're looking at like historical context. You're looking like, what is the movie in this year that's going to stand the test of time? So do you, come do you back think to, that's or, what it is? The, the King's Speech? No. Do you think that's what a best picture, nom- like win means? Do you, do you think, well, I get, you asked me a question, so I'm turning it back on you, but I don't personally think that a best picture win historically has meant that this is the movie from 2010. Like, I think in the yes. moment, we yes. we actually know what the best movie is, or not even the best movie, but the movie, if you're talking about timeliness as a category that needs to be checked off, or is the most important category that needs to be checked off for a Best Picture winner, I think we have a pretty good sense of that in the moment. Right? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. We have a good sense. I don't think we have a perfect sense. But... Yeah. Because um, I, I, I thought this was the best picture in the moment, but I, and I still think it's a really good movie, but if you want to go back and re-award this year, you know, I, I think you could, you would probably give it to a different movie. So would you, so for you in a vacuum, the best picture goes to the best movie and it, there, is there a scale of, it, I think it's a combination, but it, it, uh, the most important thing is the best movie. I think it's political too. Like The Departed, I think deserved to win because Scorsese deserved to win. Yeah, yeah. And there's and there's there's that, and there's also larger like societal conversations, like a movie like Green Book. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the classic to me. Like, didn't deserve it. No. Because it it yeah it isn't an original achievement in film. Right, and yeah. it's just a, a fuck you by a group of like. 500 people yeah and that's the it's the political award it's you know we're it's we're not giving it to anybody else we're giving it to this one yeah do you think that the so i I wanted to bring this up but the king's speech is the second to last um weinstein company film to win best picture and there's the running line in hollywood circles that harvey weinstein is like very good at being political playing the game and winning best picture yes so this this movie wins best picture 2012 the artist wins best picture also a weinstein company movie um having not being like fully aware of that at the moment like looking back now do you feel as though this is more of a like political rigging win or like he played the game well in this one Maybe we get into a larger conversation about like what we think actually deserve to win, because you seem to not be like totally sold on the King's Speech as your best picture for twenty ten. Well, I'll say I'll say one thing first. 
that the Oscars don't actually matter and that like picking between these five films or these 10 films and saying like this one is better than these other movies is kind of arbitrary. It's, it's not like apples to apples. Yeah. They're, they're, they're works of art. But, but I think you could still have a conversation in the context of everything else we're talking about and still award an award for it. Yeah, so we can we can be cynical, but we should also ultimately like respect the outcome. Yeah, I think I think for the the purpose of this discussion, we're gonna probably ignore the fact that it's arbitrary to award Oscars. You know, we're gonna suspend that that assumption and have this conversation. But I just wanted that on the record. Yeah, I don't, I don't make movies for the awards. I make them for the art. Exactly. Writers don't write books for the money, right? Because yeah. you don't get paid. Um, but now, I, having said that, the King's Speech deserved the Oscar because the Social Network is a piece of shit. I don't. So, like to me, this decision isn't really a travesty. Like there are way worse examples of Best Picture winners, right? Like compared to the other nominees. To me, like the Social Network, I is my Best Picture of 2010. But the King's Speech is not like a dog shit movie by any stretch of the imagination. I think personally that the social network is bigger. I think it at the time was dealing with a subject that was probably like trivialized among like the sm- not sm- smart people of uh, you know letters, right? Like Facebook was sort of this like bullshit company that nobody wanted to cover. Nobody really understood what it was going to become. And it was just a thing for college kids. Yeah, we were not at the danger levels of social media yet, I think. I think it, it teases at it, but I don't think we're quite where we are now where we're like regulate this and this is like bad. Yeah. I think this movie gets too much credit for being like um, having like great vision for what Facebook was and why Zuckerberg is actually not a good person. Like I don't in watching this movie I don't really get that, right? You you sort of get this like spurned college kid who really just wants friends or like to date or to have sex or whatever and he isn't able to do that and so he applies his energies in a different way and i mean this is what we said on the podcast a couple episodes ago but it's it's more about like the college age version of mark zuckerberg who just is like kind of a dick kind of can do whatever he wants because he's got the power of the internet at his disposal and he understands it earlier than a lot of people do yeah but I don't think, like, you know, people will say that it's the best movie of the 2010s. And it very well might be, but not because it predicts or understands Mark Zuckerberg as this, like, tyrannical figure of sure. the 2020s. It takes liberties. That's an important point, too. I mean, a lot of the social stuff was made up, is relationships and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this isn't an original thought by me, but, I mean, this is the 21st century Citizen Kane for me. It's It's... It's the story of, of the guy who does everything he can because he, he can't get the one girl that he wanted, um, and everything comes out of that. So do you think this movie would have been more effective if it had come out later in like Zuckerberg's existence? Or do you, do you give this movie credit for what Zuckerberg became? Because like it it's, a, it's, a, it's a movie set in 20, 2004, 2005. Yeah. Right? If this movie came out last year... Would it have won Best Picture over Green Book? Yeah, sure. Yeah. 
But so my, my point with Citizen Kane is that you see Citizen Kane and you know, like, the full life story of that person he's based on. Mm-hmm. Movies are different today in that, like, you couldn't make Citizen Kane. It has to be Mark Zuckerberg. First, like, selling. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, we may have not seen the most important thing Mark Zuckerberg has done. Like, as, it, as the leader of Facebook. Because we didn't know Facebook was going to potentially disrupt the 2016 election or, like, corrupt people's brains. Yeah. We, it's just a story of, I don't know. Yeah. Well, so it's certainly, if you look at it back, look back at it now, I feel like it's very hard to throw all that information away from this movie. You still, if anything, that stuff adds to it. I get where you're saying that this movie, The Social Network, stands on its own besides all that stuff and is a great film and maybe even should have won the best picture of that year. But I think now it's it's almost impossible to look at it without everything that's happened. Yeah. And it, it, it gives it even more legs. Yeah, people life. hate Mark Zuckerberg now way more than they did then. Yeah. yeah. And this film kind of plays into that, mm-hmm. that feeling, so. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I will say this film just generally, <clears throat> you were talking about Tom Hooper being... In this, in the King's Speech, a director who was able to compose like really beautiful shots, right? Like his directing was static, but it was like it it was good for the material he had. I feel like in the Social Network, David Fincher, the director, was a little more kinetic, right? His camera was always moving. A little, yeah, yeah. It is certainly it, more. Yeah. It's, it's maybe not, like, the exact opposite of the King's Speech, but it's pretty close. Like, his camera... What's how do you... So it's the, a party camera, right? They, so they, they all... They both they both directed the hell out of the movie that they were given. The direction fit the source material. So how do you, how do you award one more points than the other? I don't know how you award directing independent of awarding a movie. Right? Like, isn't... The director ultimately is the general sure. of the set. And so, statistically, you know, like, two-thirds of the Best Picture winners also won Best Director. Yeah. And now we're in the, this Oscars moment where they like to split it up because... T- two awards. Marketing? Yeah, yeah, right? Well, yeah. Two awards, more, sure. More political. You, everyone, gets a, everyone gets a statue. Everyone gets a trophy. Yeah. Wow. But, yeah, I mean, you're right. I, I, so my opinion on that is just, like, who is most responsible for making a good movie? There are a lot of people that work on film sets yeah but ultimately the director is the person who is in charge so if you're going to give if you're going to give amazon credit who are you giving credit to what do you mean so i'm let's play like a it's a ceo right he's the ceo of the movie oh i mean the director director gets the credit for sure so amazon is jeff bezos facebook is mark zuckerberg you can not like them you can not like the company but if you do like them it's primarily because of the I charge. So to me, I, I can't divorce director from best picture. To me, I think those okay. have to go together. I, I'm with you there. I'm with you there 100%. But I think you're right that you direct the material you're giving and the social network has, like, the the writing on that movie is totally different. So let's, let's get to that. I want to ask that question. So let's go head to head the scripts. Which which is the better script? Which is the more well written script? I think it. Well, go ahead, please. I am a I'm a really big Aaron Sorkin guy. Everyone everybody knows that I'm a big Aaron Sorkin guy. I think that I I think probably the better written script, like on a. Is Inception. I I would agree with that. 
Bong. Or uh, Winter's Bone. Big, big Winter's Bone guy. Um, I think there's a, I was watching the Oscars clips from earlier today, and if you watch them awarding the best original screenplay, if you look at Chris Nolan's like reaction to it, he, he kind of looks like dead inside when they give it to the other guy. You oh, thought he should have won? <laughs> I don't know. You know, that's just me projecting. Best original? You know who won best original? Yes. Your guy? Yes. You don't even know his name? David, David S- S- Seidler. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, so, I don't know. The King's Speech is a really well-written movie. I think they're, I think I would rate them both like A-plus scripts. I think they're outstanding, well-written films. Yeah. They're, they're totally different writers. Sure. Aaron Sorkin needs to have, like, quick an electrical fence around him. Yeah. Because he will just, like, leak out if you let him. There is, like, so much hot air coming out of his pen. At some point, you just you need to find the director, and maybe Fincher is the guy that's like, fuck you, we're not having a three-page monologue from Mark Zuckerberg. The guy doesn't talk, right? So, I don't know. It's different movies, different writers... I think they're both effective in what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. The Facebook movie is, or the social network, the Facebook movie, is, is a party movie. Yeah, it, it's certainly, a, you watch it and you go along with the rocket ship ride they go on. You're in the, like, this is fucking awesome. You know, I want to be part of a startup and make like a billion dollars. Yeah. Yeah. It's sex, drugs, and rock and roll for uh, the... Yeah, I heard it first. Yeah. 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 Previous podcast. Yeah. It still applies here. So what, what you think they're you think they're about even? But uh, just... you know what? Thinking about it again, I think I think I would actually pick the Social Network as the better script, the more well written movie. Why? I, I like I love for me the the my favorite scene in the whole film is the opening scene. I think that does so much to characterize the Mark Zuckerberg character. You know you know who he is. It's it's the source of his entire the rest of the movie. His motivation for everything else. I think the. The deposition scenes are really well done. They're, they're edited well. And it gives you a, a point to tell the story from. And it's it's probably funnier. I mean, there's a different... You know, we're a little younger. And so I think we find that kind of humor more humorous than, yeah. than the old people jokes in the King's Speech. But... <laughs> which are still funny. No, I mean, I... Yes, I, it's hilarious. I was eating dried dates and I yeah. was guffawing. Okay, yeah, so I don't know about you, Charlie. I think the the social network is definitely more quotable, and that's not that's not like a. I mean, it is a credit to the writing, but yeah. I think that it becomes something else too when you can leave the theater, and you can or you can fast forward ten years and still make a joke on your way over to my house and say, "I'm six foot five, two twenty, and there's two of me," yeah. and it still lands. Well, yeah. I wrote it down. I I plan to have. No. But I, like the the King speech doesn't have that level of quotability. Um, but that's not a fault, I don't think. I think it's a I think it's a benefit that you can be quotable. Like I feel like we talk about this in comedies. You watch a comedy, you let me laugh, and you go home, and if you can't remember what happened, then ultimately that comedy is probably not. That's a that's successful. definitely a quality of a good movie. But is that like is that a quality that is a requirement for a best picture winner? No. Thank you. I would agree with that. No. Maybe yeah. a best screenplay winner. Maybe. Yeah. But they got that right. I'm, he, you know, I don't won. think Inception deserved to win for writing. I also, on a personal level, I, I this is going to sound shitty, but I identified maybe more with Mark Zuckerberg and being a little shithead that wants to prove his doubters wrong. I think Mark Zuckerberg as a character is better than George the Sixth. He's like, more relatable. Head to head, I think he's. I think there's more to him. 
Maybe they're... Yeah, I guess. They're both, there's a lot of Georgia 6, but there's a lot of, like, his, you come into the theater with maybe more. But there's certainly a lot revealed in the movie. Mm-hmm. So I, I say that just because I think George the Six has a... And it's not like a daddy complex, but he is definitely somebody who was not coddled as a child. And he, when he gets in tough situations, can't really handle the pressure because he wasn't given those tools as a kid, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I, I acknowledge on the surface that it's hard to feel sympathetic about uh, a kid who's born the prince and is going to be king. But he certainly was bullied and, you know, abused and it's still there's emotional vulnerability there that he I, has a disability so yeah. i think that gives you yeah. enough yeah right yeah zuckerberg on the other hand is just a total dick but I, I think the great trick of the movie is that you like him like i i like him yeah. you like him yeah. you will you you love him i love, him. love the shit out of him will's got a facebook tattoo <laughs> and i admit that he's a shit but yeah i do like him but he, maybe it's just because he gets to play with more characters. But he is—he's dealing with like, the you know being spurned by a girl. But he's also having, like, interpersonal trouble with Eduardo, with his friends. You don't really know where his loyalties lie. This probably says something bad about me, but there's nothing that he did that I like wouldn't have done. I, I probably would have done very similar things in the situations that he was. Probably. I totally agree. Yeah, Eduardo was in New York. He was. He well, wasn't he wasn't part he of the was, You brought this up on the podcast. He was trying to find fucking advertisers. Yeah, but he you're was like, still like, working like, a nine-to-five job. So you need... Looking for advertisers. No, right? he had a... No, well, he he quit he... the internship the first day. I told you that, Mark. It's in the fucking movie. <laughs> it's in the movie. It's not in the book. Yeah, we still worked eight hours at some shit fucking whatever it was. An investment bank, right? Listen, he wasn't fully invested. I think if he wanted to be part of the Facebook... The rocket ship. He would have been a part of Facebook. He would have been in uh, fucking Silicon Valley. Yeah. Right? I guess. Fuck Eduardo. Well, you, so you, you are like, oh, Eduardo was doing everything for Facebook. I still would have fucked him over, though. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Because I have an ego. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> you know. I think Eduardo was, was dead weight. I think Mark just pings from person to person hoping that there we're going to be the person that sort of unlocks him to the next like thing which is could be a group of people could be a girl whatever and at some point he realized like that was never going to happen for him the most important thing in his life is to have like something that he created that everybody loves and so while people like back then the idea of mark zuckerberg nobody personally likes mark zuckerberg true except for his girlfriend his real life girlfriend. Real life girlfriend. I'm sure. Who doesn't make the movie. Yeah. So, that's my thoughts on the social network. Okay. It slaps. Cool. Um, it's it's quotable. There's It's jiffable. Can I ask about the acting performances? Because these two films have some of the, the best like ensemble acting of any film. I, I, the, the social network, this was, if, if you had asked me in 2010... Like, I'm buying stock in everybody. I'm buying Army, Army Hammer stock. I'm buying oh, yeah. uh, Jesse Eisenberg stock. This, is, this was a career performance from all the main characters. Yeah. And they've done shit since. Like, Andrew Garfield, Army Hammer, Jesse Eisenberg, Justin Timberlake. This was their best they've ever done. Yeah. 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 
and like the other guys at Army Hammer and Andrew Garfield have, have had have had like real shots. Yeah, like, exactly. Big roles. They, yeah. This made them a list, and yeah. then they failed. Yeah, yeah. Jesse Eisenberg is probably not somebody that was ever going to be a list. Yeah. Just his like. This got him typecast as that character for the rest of his life. Yeah, but I think he he probably has a certain taste and a certain. I don't even think he lives in L.A. I think he lives in like Columbus, Ohio, and is mm. not. It's very Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah, doesn't yeah. He's he's pretty hipster. But, but no, yeah. you're you're right. I mean, I'm I'm pissed that Army Hammer is a bad actor. I like him a lot. I I'm mad that he like failed in all the rest of his movies. What about uh, Call Me by Your Name? Wasn't he nominated for that? Or no, he wasn't nominated. Did for you that. did you like him in that? I didn't see that movie. Oh, okay. I didn't I didn't see the movie either. I I think Army Hammer is probably the best out of the bunch. Right? Maybe not. Maybe it is Andrew Garfield. Yeah. I don't who, see who, who would you today pick? From this movie. To, like, saddle up and take me to stardom? Yeah. You're, you are... You pick up the entourage. You are Turtle from Dakota entourage. Johnson. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, I'm joking. I hate Dakota Johnson. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, he doesn't. I have, a, I have a right down here. Dakota Johnson, nepotism. This was her first film role. Her first feature film role that, uh, since she was a child. And I think she sucks in it. Really? Yes. Having seen all four of the um, Fifty Shades of Grey movies, I can say this. Are there actually four of them? I, I thought think so. Just I two. thought that was two parts. Maybe. I've seen them all. Okay. They get weird. Did you enjoy that? No. Did well, they, they're kind of funny. And you, like, laugh at them. Okay. Yeah. Like, ironically, because they're yeah. bad. You know the line, in the first movie, there's a line, I don't, I don't make love, I, I fuck. Is that a line? He says that to her, yeah. That should be nominated for Writing, writing, writing. Yeah. That whole, that whole story is weird because it's like Twilight fanfic that became its own thing. Yeah. That's weird to me. The, the, the one thing I would say I want to ask about her is she, when she's in the movie, she's wearing a Stanford sweatshirt and Stanford panties. Are, those aren't like, those aren't a thing. I bet they are. Girls, girls don't wear college panties. While they're in college? I bet you they do. Ever. I bet you did. Only if you, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I we'll would think to... I would think not. I think that's just like, we need to make sure that the audience knows yeah, no shit. that we're at Stanford. Stanford. Yeah, that's exactly, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, this is, yeah. <laughs> what are we? Yeah. I, I am Sean Parker. You, you slept, slept on, on Sean, Sean Parker. Parker. I, so, uh, she's not really in the movie enough for me to. No. Uh, uh, getting back to your original question, who am I, who am I getting on and taking me to stardom? Probably Justin Timberlake, but he's he's oh, also really? he's also kind of failed from this as an actor or as just like an entertainer. Because uh, he's kind of talking exclusively more, right? as an actor. Yeah, I want to be Army Hammer. He has let me down too much, and and now he like doesn't isn't in things. But like at the time. Oh, at the time I was like Army Hammer is going to be like a star. Yeah, he's in uh, Death on the Nile, that uh, movie that they may come out in twenty twenty, probably not. The. Uh, He's also in Rebecca. I get the Christie. Oh yeah, Rebecca is coming out on Netflix in a couple of weeks, right? Yeah. Can I ask you uh, while we're on the, the topic, the topic of the social network and how things that I want to share, the scene where Mark is coding face mash. Wait, is... I'm going to say that Andrew Garfield would be my pick. For I'm taking future. I'm taking. I'm taking What's options. It, in you've Andrew seen Garfield. you've seen the Spider-Man movies, right? I have not, and that's why I'm taking Andrew Garfield. <laughs> <laughs> I saw I saw it in theaters and the projector like broke five minutes into the movie, 
and they they offered they were like fixing it and they're like you could also just leave and we'll give you your money back and I was like you know what this is probably <laughs> this is probably a sign that I should just leave instead of wait for them to fix the projector yeah, I did <laughs> um, the scene in the beginning where Marcus is making face mash and it's intercut with the final club party yeah thank you for saying I, final club yeah, yeah I'm not an idiot I have two questions one one do you think that this do you think that was a real thing that was happening or was that Mark's imagination of a final club party that he was like daydreaming about while coding? And two, if it was real, there's no fucking way that these like they're busing in models to go to a fucking like frat party. What kind of nonsense is this? This is is fucking absurd. I know it's a movie, but this is absurd. They want to party with the next Fed chair. This is absurd. Absurd. So answer both questions, Liz. I think that I think it was intercut with a real party, not I mean like a stage it, party in the, for in the movie. movie. Right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's a, a Mark daydream. Um, do they truck in models? I, I, I don't know. I would think not. Yeah, that's no way. That's real, right? I'm not... They have their own parties to go to. Who who's, 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 like... who like wants to go to a Harvard party Absolutely. so bad? Who's like, oh my god, that we're gonna go to a final club party? Like that's. I don't, yeah, I don't think that's a thing. We're going to wait outside and get in a fucking bus and bus there and like, oh, now that we're in the party, let's just take our clothes off. Like, fuck yeah. <laughs> oh, it's college. Unless they were like actually like, like hookers or something. I would, I would bet that there are probably people who visited their friends who went to Harvard who'd be like, oh, why don't we try to go to a final club party tonight? Do you think people give a shit like that much? Maybe, I don't know. It's a fucking frat. Like, what? I'm sure freshmen and maybe sophomores probably do. Sure. It's Harvard, man. People are so. I, I stuck guess if you're up. like, you could, yeah, I guess. Right. I having almost, having yeah. uh, only been to Harvard Yard once, and never. I don't know anybody that went to Harvard. You know anyone that went to Harvard? Uh, somebody I used to work with. Yeah. Was he or she stuck up? Uh, no, she's pretty cool. All right. The defense. Rests. I know a guy that went to the Harvard <laughs> Extension online classes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and told everybody he went to Harvard Business School. Yeah. So we're one for two here on <laughs> Harvard people. I, so, I don't know. I think, maybe, I mean, who are frats for? They're for sororities to like have mixers with. But when you're young and first in college, they are, because you can't go out to bars, they are your social life. Or they can be. They have the potential to be your social life. The exaggeration of that scene to me is what makes me inclined to believe that it could be like imagination. I, I know, I'm not, a, I'm not usually a guy that, that believes that scenes are made up or something i know that's like a common thing people like to extrapolate but i just think the that party mo- is absurd that movie is so obsessed with sex that i i just think it's like let's just find a way to show like sexy things you know what i you know what was interesting in the book they did not, they did not show in the movie was the victoria's secret model um going away with mark that's a real life thing? Yeah. It, it's in the book. It's in the book, so... Yeah. But I wonder why they didn't include that. Was that... Would that be too far-fetched, maybe? Well, you wouldn't want to show him having success, right? That would be a, not in the character of the movie. Yeah, like, no personal relationship success. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Because they're, they changed that scene for... Then they have Justin Timberlake tell that nice anecdote about the guy who invented... Victoria's Secret. Yeah. What a weird story. I don't get it. My date is a Victoria's Secret model. Yeah. 
I have one other uh, all-time scumbag line that Justin Timberlake says in the film. Uh, I believe it's Eduardo asks him about those girls at the house, and he's like, "How old are they?" And Justin Timberlake says, "It's, it's not polite to ask." That's pretty pretty shitty. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty bad. Yeah, she says. Yeah, yeah. Sean Parker did not get a good rap from this movie. The real Sean Parker, I mean. Which yeah. is weird because I I sort of think he's one of the sources for the book. Yeah. He is. So, uh, I mean, that's not the real Sean Parker. It, this is a fictionalized version of everything. Yeah. Well, I mean, right. the book wasn't as bad on Sean Parker as the movie is. I mean, I, truthfully, like, the the book is totally Eduardo and Sean Parker, and the movie is, like, fuck both you. Yeah. I'm so, telling Zuck's story. That's my man Aaron Sorkin making it a, a decision. There you go. That's why I got the Oscar. So where the fuck are we? Well, <laughs> we, we're off the rails. We are officially off the rails. I'll take, um, I'll take credit for that. We are going to take blame. a quick break, and we're going to come back, tie it up, if we can. We're going to see. Hey, it's Eric. If you're liking what you're hearing, do us a favor and leave us a review. But only if it's five stars, and definitely only if you mean it, okay? And don't comment unless you have something nice to say. My mom listens to these episodes. All right, back to the show. Every monarch in history has succeeded someone who was dead, or just about to be. My predecessor is not only alive, but very much so. Bloody mess. And even give them a Christmas speech. Like your dad used to do. Precisely. He's not here anymore. Yes, he is. It's on that shilling I gave you. Easy enough to give away. You don't have to carry him around in your pocket. Or your brother. You don't need to be afraid of the things you were afraid of when you were five. You're very much your own man, Bertie. Your face is next, mate. Hey, it's Will. Thanks for listening, as always. If you have a few minutes, please subscribe to the show and leave us a review. If you like the show, share it with a friend. Just one. That's all we ask, and that's all you have to do. Now, back to the show. And we're back. Thank you from that great word from our sponsor, uh, Spicy Chicken Nuggets from Wendy's. Thank you so much for sponsoring us. So, um, we're going to go over some statistics uh, over the historical... Um, history of the Oscars, excuse me. And we're going to get some reactions from Charlie, Mr. Charles, and Mr. Eric and see what they think. Maybe do you, it fits, maybe it doesn't. Do you professionally, Charlie, go by Charlie or Charles? Charlie. Okay. Yeah. On your resume? No, on my resume. So professionally. So people, people will call you Charles and then you'll eventually correct them and say, you can call me Charlie. Yeah, it's kind of stupid. I, I really should probably just say Charlie. I thank but... you for getting that on the record. <laughs> <laughs> Or just like quit and just be like, I'm Charles professionally, mm-hmm. and I'm, only my friends call me Charlie. Do know. you like being called Charles? There's like a this is a fucking weird. Term. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, go ahead, go ahead. So, um, first statistic: fifty percent. Do you like being called Daddy? <laughs> <laughs> only when I deserve to. Okay, I'm need to get a hold. Can we of cut this that out? Podcast. No, we're gonna fucking leave it. 
Mr. Charles. All right, go ahead, Will. Mr. Daddy. So 50% of Oscar nominees are dramas. But this is Best Picture. 50%. So these are, this is, yeah, so this is, a lot of it is Best Picture, but some of it is just Oscars in general. Oh, okay. Um, so 50% of Oscar nominees of all time have been dramas. I guess that makes sense. Some of those, like, below-the-line categories probably go, like, and Star Wars. Is this, is this binary? It's, it's drama, c- comedy? Or it's, like, musical and, like... Yeah, there's, like, all shit. different genres. Action, yeah. I would think, would be yeah. a big one. Mm-hmm. Science fiction, whatever. Okay. Seems low. I would have, I would yeah, I feel like, like drama is a big... Would, I, I feel like drama is a category, and it's also probably, like, a catch-all. Yeah, I mean, genres are kind of bent now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or and this is also... This is only up to 2014, I believe. Um, so, so... Okay. So we're missing, like, six years. But anyways... 75% of Best Picture noms are dramas. So a lot more for the Best Pictures. Um, and there's a strong bias for crime dramas and biographical dramas. Where do you fall on people calling them biopics? Biopic. Have you heard this? Like people, like I call them biopics, but there is a burgeoning movement to call them biop- biopics. What? Have you heard this? No. Do you know about this? Sorry. No, I haven't. I'm... Who told you this? You haven't heard about this? No, I think it's kind of stupid. I've heard people call them biopics. Who? People. Which people so we can find them and talk them <laughs> <laughs> All right, can you I, I will call them biopics. It's a biographical picture. It's a biopic. What is a biopic? Are, are both these films we just talked about biopics? They're about, they're the stories of two major real people. Yeah. I was thinking this social network might be a little bit of a crime because it's about legality but i don't think it's necessarily it would be yeah lumped into that conversation because a crime drama would be something like the godfather or like something like that mafia yeah, yeah. maybe they are i don't know i would kind of right yeah like the king's speech to me is more biopic material because it's just it's not even i don't know you usually biopics are like cradle to grave stuff right that's exactly what i was just about to say it's like the, the whole story yeah this is just a portion yeah so I think we're coming down that these are both not biopics. Okay. And then um, Oscars favor adapted writing over the original uh, screenplay for Best Picture winner. So Shout over fifty percent of adapted. Shout out Little Lens. That's why. That's why we're all here. There we go. Yeah. And then f- over fifty percent of adapted screenplays nominated for Best Picture, um, which Aaron Sorkin won in twenty ten, or twenty eleven. Excuse me. Or is it 2011 or 2010? 2011. Uh, 2010 movie, the 2011 Oscars. Okay. 83rd Annual Academy Awards. Live from the Dolby Theater. Let me just go and watch over that. <laughs> and then less than 40% of original screenplays uh, were nominated for Best Picture. But David Siegler won for Meeting Speech, so he, he broke the trend. I wonder, this is, you're going back all the time. I wonder what this is like the last 10 years. Yeah, I think it's a little different. I feel like the, thing, the statistics have changed. Isn't it an original screenplay would be more difficult than an adapted screenplay, right? Just apples and oranges. To make a successful movie or like to do what to do what with it? I guess I don't know what I'm going for. Are you are you like rewarding the movie because it is not original, or like you discount the movie because it is original? That I mean that gets back to something we like we were talking about. Like how do you award this a best picture Oscar? If the source material like matters, then yeah, then that probably affects it. Because if it, if it's wholly original, then isn't that like more imaginative? 
Like someone else didn't do yeah. part of the yeah. legwork. Yeah. What if it's like um, The Star is Born? It's like this is a remake of a of a of a movie, but it's still a good movie. Yeah, Godfather. Yeah, that's a book. Yeah, this is a book. So, the I don't know, I don't know. I think the source material doesn't matter because you know we already talked about this. But it's the we're looking at the product of the film, not how we got here. That's true. And it, it's a movie, not a book, and you still have to make the movie version of it. Movies are better than books. This is this is why we're all here again. What? Can you please call them films, Charlie? <laughs> this is a safe space for me. I don't read. And then, regarding the specifics of the plot, movies about cross-cultural relations and forbidden loves are strong performers in the Academy Awards. The best cultural differences to explore are those that emerge from economic inequality, especially stories about class differences and servants and employees are among the Academy's favorites. So that kind of ties into yeah. the King's speech. Um, and then about 60% of films nominated for Best Actor or Best Supporting Actor were nominated for Best Picture. Um, I've seen 20, 2010 films, both nominated. Jesse Eisenberg, Colin Firth won. Jeffrey Rush was also nominated uh, for Best Supporting Actor. And then only 45% of films recognized for outstanding performances by actresses are nominated for Best Picture. Um, and Helen Bonham Carter was nominated this year as well. 75% of films uh, nominated, nominated for Best Director were also nominated, nominated for Best Picture, um, which is the strongest overlap between uh, Best Picture nominees um, have with any other Oscar category. So, And they were both nominated. Tom Hooper won, obviously. Yeah. And then films nominated for Best Editing and Best Cinematography were also nominated for Best Picture at rates above 50%, and these were both nominated. Um, but the Best Cinematography won, or went to, do you know? Uh, Inception. Yeah, Inception. Deacons? Roger Deacons? Wally Feister. Wally Feister. And then both were they nominated. Moved, they moved the sets. You've seen the stuff, right? It's incredible. It is incredible. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> they didn't use real locations. They built locations. I'm a closeted Chris Nolan fanboy. I'm I mean, going to see Tenet in theaters. Unbelievable. Bring your mask. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't care. <laughs> Maybe it'll be playing in the drive through near us. Did you come to Netflix? And then, it's a film. It belongs in a theater. Whatever, dude. Seventy millimeter, IMAX. Um, the the yeah, go ahead. The Devil All the Time is was shot in thirty five millimeter, and they put that on Netflix. That's right. That's what all movies are. All f- movies that are shot in film are shot in thirty five millimeter. Yeah, but they put it on Netflix. They didn't put it in a movie theater, Charlie. I understand that. It was. So what we, do you mean? It's not. It's not digital. We get that 35 millimeter is half as good as 70 millimeter. That's just math. 35 but... millimeter is the standard uh, film size of movies. Is it? Yeah. But it wasn't shot on digital like so many films are. Yeah, you know. So Some of us got to keep rep the brand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Um, oh my god, I lost my fucking... Dude, you weren't saying anything important. <laughs> <laughs> what was that quote you wanted to tell me? Uh, yeah, I mean, so if we're, if we're going back to stuff that I haven't talked about, this is going to sound really weird, but there's a line in the King's speech where Helena Bonham Carter says, she's talking about Wallace Simpson, she has certain skills acquired at an establishment in Shanghai. Yeah. Do you think that's like, they were just like having missionary sex, like forever, and she came along and was like, yo, we're going to do, we're going to do it in the butt or something. And he was like, this is the, this is the greatest thing ever. Actually, probably, yeah, like nowadays it probably wasn't that. She stuck a finger up his butt, and he was like, I I have to give up the throne and marry you. This is the best sex I've ever had. 
I mean, maybe. If I put money on it, it probably was just a different position. Probably wasn't anal. It's, you're assuming that this is real and not just like her talking out of her, her like. Yeah, no, but like, what do you, I mean, but he like loved her sexually. Yeah, that seems to be like the thing, right? Like, she's just wild. I don't want to get too explicit, but like, she just did things that no other girl ever did. Well, they're all religious, right? Do did they have to before like wait until they were married to have sex? And so she. That kind of that doesn't apply to you if you're like a king, or a prince, or you're a man. Maybe not. Unfortunately, with it, yeah. 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 And she was American, that woman. Right? Yes. Yeah. And twice divorced. Well, That's the problem. Or she was at the end. I'm just, I just like, can you imagine just like, without porn, like you don't know anything about sex, and That's then true. this like experienced person comes on and like blows you away, and you're like, what, I, I love you and I want to marry you. What do you think it was? I think she stuck her finger up his butt. He was like, this, this is nice. I like this. Is there a term for that, like a scientific term or something that you can use? No. It's just a finger in the butt. Yeah. We're gonna get back on topic. <laughs> Maybe she pegged him. Maybe they're way ahead of her time. <laughs> Anyways, he likes to eat ass. <laughs> and then um, you glad you glad we you glad we made that segue. I, I asked uh, to come back to this. <laughs> I wish I had. So and then both of these films were nominated for best editing, but which one do you think won? Social Network. Yeah, it's true. It did because the editing is good because of that stupid beginning scene where they took ninety nine takes to put together five minutes. Is it really a stupid scene? No, it's a great scene. It's like one of the greatest. Do you scenes think they had ever. to do ninety nine takes? Yeah. We don't actually know what takes they use. What if they use takes like four and fourteen and No, you have to you create you create the scene over nine nine takes. You this is definitely one of the later takes. You guys talked about it. You as you do the scene more and more often, you get more flustered, the acting becomes like real. I'm playing devil's advocate, obviously. I know it's genius. I'm I'm for like physical and emotional uh, did, yeah, did you notice how the scene the audio starts while the film credits are still like going the like Paramount or whatever it is credits oh are you right it does yeah. yeah that's something they do because they wanted the scene to be going and the, that would suck the audience in and you automatically feel behind on the scene which forces you to pay attention more. oh interesting hmm. do they learn that from another movie you know I don't know I, that's just that's just I know that's why they did it that's why and then 42% of films nominated for Best Score received Best Picture nominations. Ooh. Interestingly, the rate was only 14% for films nominated for Best Song, which I feel like... Well, those, I mean, score and song are two different things. But this is something we haven't talked about. That Trent Reznor score is, like, perfect. Yeah. It's so good. It's one of the first, like, modern scores, I feel like, right? I guess Inception that same year has a memorable sounds. I don't know that you call that like a score, like the It's a it's a score. Yeah. Hans Zimmer. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, but this was this one I think was just so different. Um, the score from Trent Reznor and Atticus Frost was just like I don't know. It's it's it really good. the perfect score that matches the tone of the movie. Is there's few things better than that. Yeah. yeah. Tops. And that's why the social network deserves to win Best Picture. The defense rests. It's funny. It's funny how a how a score can really take a movie over the top. You know, mm-hmm. it can really add a, a lot to the to a film, or it can take a lot away. Yeah, it is weird too because, like, the director probably doesn't have oversight over that because they probably don't understand music the same way they understand imagery, 
right? So you, you're sort of having to translate what you want to somebody that is then making it for you. You Yeah, you, you tell the musicians what you're going for. And then they show you stuff and you're like, I like this, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Or you or you like play them what you're going for. Yeah. And they also, they make like 11, 12 songs and you like use two pretty, exp- a lot in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. It's part of the process. The director has a significant amount of say in the score. Yeah. My point is that he can't control, really control it. Like he's not pressing the actual keys. Maybe that is more of a challenge, but so the, if, he's, the, if he's in the room, then... The he... great directors, we are, they're the CEO. They set the vision of the film, and then the department heads underneath them like get that, and they make their own creative stuff, and it becomes better because it's the byproduct of everyone's creativity. But there's a central vision that the filmmaker, the director, sets because they are the CEO, So the auteur. What is like the... Like the biggest trait or the best trait the most important trait that a director would have would it be like to be incredibly good at communication like what is it's an excellent question i don't know yeah i mean there's it's certainly communication is important but there are like dictator directors that are amazing mm-hmm. uh you don't necessarily have to like to work with them for that to make them a good movie mm-hmm. communication vision it's Probably a lot of the same qualities as a good, like any good leader. Right? Some are more like cinematography focused. Some are more like acting directing focused. Some are, you know, more writer directors. Yeah. Accomplish everything. Mm-hmm. And then um, one of the last ones here, the overlaps between best picture nominees and best costumes, best makeup, best visual effects uh, nominees are among the weakest of any Oscar category, excluding those dedicated to particular genres like documentaries or shorts and there was also <clears throat> so that was from one website called mode.com engineering the best picture so we also have uh, a ucla study um so they did a study where they looked at these uh common traits among best picture winners and they found uh four different things so when a film was released is one uh common uh denominator for amongst the best picture nominees whether it's being distributed by a major, major studio you're talking like when like the late in the year, more likely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, whether the actors, writers, and directors of the film had previous Oscar nominations. And then whether, according to movies at IMDb, it, it features genres and plot keywords most associated with Oscar nominations. So do you know when these movies were released? Social Network was released on October 1st. Yeah. I 2010. Had the, I had the ticket stops, yeah. I mean, that was October and King's Speech was like December. December 25th? Christmas. There you go. I saw it it on uh, December 31st. And then do you know um, which company released, which major studio released um, the King's Speech? I think we talked about this, right? The Weinstein? Yeah, it was the Weinstein company. And then what about uh, Social Network? Isn't it Sony? Annapurna? Well, I think it is Sony, but it's Columbia Pictures. Oh. Maybe they own. They do. And then, the business. and then, so for the King's Speech, um, can you name some actors, maybe directors, uh, writers, who have had previous Oscar nominations? In that movie? The people who are in that movie previous to 2010, have they, have they had an Oscar nomination? Probably Sor- all of them, right? Sorkin, for sure. We're talking King's Speech first. Oh, I'm sorry. 
Hooper? What else did Hooper? Yeah, I think have? I think they've all they've all been nominated. Before. Jeffrey Rush definitely was nominated, except for Tom Hooper. And not the writer. And David Sadler. Yeah. But yeah, I would I would say Helena Bonham Carter. All three of the main actors. Colin Firth and Jeffrey Rush. And Guy Pierce. I, didn't, I actually didn't check Guy Pierce, but maybe. I think it? I think he's been nominated before. Uh, but yeah, so so. Colin Firth was nominated the year before for a single man. Jeffrey mm-hmm. Rush had won one previously and was nominated another two times. And Helena Bonham Carter was also nominated um, a few years before. Jeffrey that. Rush has been nominated four times. He's a great actor. <clears throat> wow. Yeah. Can you look up Guy Pearce for me and prove Gosh. that I'm right? Let me see. And then what about uh, the Social Network? Just so we. Uh, I think I think it's only Sorkin, right? Or probably Fincher. Yeah, I guess probably Fincher. Fincher and Sorkin, Zodiac, or Seven, or Fight Club. He's got a lot of. Uh... It's just David Fincher, but you're getting the wrong movie. Yeah, it was actually the year before. Oh. Case. I came out in 2010, or 20, 2009. So, uh, so Guy Pierce has only been nominated for a Golden Globe. That, <laughs> that was, doesn't count. That was for... Oh, uh, that was for a miniseries. Tele- Mildred Pierce. Television. That was actually... That was 2011. That was, that was after, so... I thought LA Confidential, maybe. But Memento was too ahead of its time. That's true, it was. I think no one understood it, just like the plot. Shout of out, <laughs> no one. So, and then the IMD keywords with the highest level of correlation with nominations are quote family tragedy, whistleblower, wow. World War Two, Pulitzer, War, Pulitzer Prize source, physical therapy for whatever reason I'm not really sure. Love, um, domestic servant, what? And Watergate, what? <laughs> so those are weird. I don't vibe with those. Yeah. It. It, race is probably there somewhere, right? Like, those these were the top. But like a concept of race, like a, a story of overcoming racism is certainly I think been awarded a lot. Yeah. So there's another another statistical uh, study, actually by Nate Silver, um, who for plot elements, uh, so racism was one of them, cross cultural relations, class differences, family, self discovery, family tragedy, servants and employers, crisis of conscience. Uh, rise and fall stories, mental illness, starting over, culture clash, forbidden love, breakups and divorces, social injustice. That's basically every movie. Yeah. Well, no. There's also, those are the best and you want to hear the worst. Plot elements, uh, films about filmmaking, uh, films about evil aliens, films about women in jeopardy, uh, Native American <laughs> films. That's pretty fucked up. Unfortunately, uh, fame, films about fame, films about life in the arts. So, well, the Entourage movie wasn't so, <laughs> nominated. Are you kidding me? So it might have got an Emmy. <laughs> from when uh, filmmaking is meta, it's not usually uh, received well. And then pregnancy and kidnapping as well. So they don't like babies. Um, yeah. So those are some other ones. But yeah. All right. I want to talk about what actually. You can say our it. actual selection. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. um, Charlie, since you're the guest here. I would like you to, considering all of the films that were released in 2010, maybe you can just limit it to the ones that actually got nominated for Best Picture. I don't know that there's anything that didn't get nominated you would add. Is The King's Speech your actual Best Picture winner? And if not, who would you... Or, or if it's not, make the case for maybe another movie. 
I think that if you are looking at it through the lens of it's one achievement in film, like how good is the movie, but also it's historical context. How, how much does it stand up to the test of time? You know, what are we going back and we're picking one today, right? This is what we're talking about. So we're judging it from a different lens than we were in 2011. Yeah. Um, I'm willing to admit that I was wrong and that the social network is the best picture of 2010. Congratulations. Man. So, you, but nothing, it has nothing to do with you convincing me. <laughs> You've convinced yourself. I watched it again. I was like, yeah, you know, this is really fucking good. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's extremely rewatchable. It's important, but I, I, I've been joking a lot. Inception is phenomenal. Sure. And the hate, the hate from that side of the table is strong from our side of the table yeah i think we both like inception I why don't inception. we talk about it in this context Do you I, think it's, I don't think it's a serious well here's the okay so i was gonna say i don't think it's a serious movie but it is a serious movie is it yeah it's about dreams dude. You yeah. dream. it's not about dreams deferred it's about like stealing things from people's dreams yeah it's a crime movie yeah. maybe, maybe that makes it better for her so do, do you think the idea of the movie hinders its chances that the Oscars because the idea is so outlandish. I just think it's, it's so too crazy. action forward. Probably. Yeah. Like, I don't think an action movie yeah. wins. I think there are movies that have like set pieces that are perhaps like big and explodey. Like The Bridge on the River Kwai or like Argo has like action elements. Talking about a movie from like two years later. But generally, I don't think like a full action movie is going to win Best Picture, because they don't reward. That's not what they're rewarding. They're they're not rewarding achievement in like filmmaking, as much as they're rewarding like. It should be. It should be. Maybe I mean, would you would you have given Christopher Nolan Best Director? No, because I would probably stick with the two. Hooper, Hooper and Fincher. Yeah. Are there, are there any other movies on this list? So the, the King's Speech, 127 Hours, Black Swan, The Fighter, Inception, Kids Are Alright, Social Network, Toy Story 3, True Grit, Winner's Bone. Are there any other on that list you could make the case for as a best picture based on qualities of rewatchability, timeliness, significance, just general dopeness? I think the Black Swan, we could entertain a conversation. Natalie Portman's performance is very good. You know, exceptional, career-defining. Didn't win an Oscar for it. Actually, she did. She did win. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) But I I don't know if I would go out of my way to make that case. I don't really even remember Black Swan. I remember The Fighter only because it's become, like, a joke in my mind. And then everything else. Toy Story 3 was resonant with me. True Grit, I thought was pretty forgettable. Winner's Bone, I always like to bring up, but I don't actually think it deserved to win Best Picture. It's just a nice, nice little movie. I saw it and I don't remember a lot of it. I don't listen for me. Do you guys? Do you guys remember back to this time? Do you remember like who was like the the front runner? I think it was the King's Speech. Who do you, like? Who were the top two? Was it Social Network? And yeah. King's Speech? Okay. Mm-hmm. D- definitely. I feel like the fighter. I didn't. Re- I'll say right now, I didn't really enjoy The Fighter, but I know that it got a lot of great reviews. It was good. It was very good. 
I feel like that would be a film in another year that would probably do a lot better than maybe even when. You know, it just has all those elements like, you know, rising through class um, structure and you have the boxing element to it. Like he's literally fighting for his life, et cetera. And then you have the great performances as well. You put a lot of these movies in different years, weaker years. I think a lot of them would have won Best Picture in 2018, Green Book year. In 2012, Dargo year. The next year where... Do you take any of these movies over the artist? Well, people hate the artist. That's I, th- like, I think that's that year the, is a bad year. That's the, like the next year the, is a bad year. If we look back at the last 10 years, that's probably the one people would say, like, this was the biggest fuck-up the Academy did. People like that but, movie. I love that movie. We saw that together. Yeah, we did. It was yeah. very nice. It was very nice. I, I really like that movie. I, I haven't, loved that I haven't movie. revisited it since. You should. It's wonderful. Have you? Do you know, it's wonderful. Do you yeah. know what else was nominated that year? With Terrence pleasure. Malick? Yeah. Tree of Life? Yeah. I saw that also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Men in Paris. Shout out well. the dinosaurs. Extremely yeah. Loud and Incredibly Close. I didn't see that one. Yeah. The Simmons. The Help. Some, like Warhorse. These, some of these movies are... Oh, Moneyball's in there. Wow. I wonder what the was the, the artist was not the front runner that year was it? That, I think that was a surprise, right? I think it was the front runner. I don't know what would have been, what else would have been like Hugo. I feel like the Moneyball was taking on a life after. No, I'm pretty sure it was the artist, like without a doubt. I mean, it won picture, director, and best actor. But then, what's the argument that they fucked up then? I think in retrospect, people are like, "That's like we don't rewatch the artists." So yeah, it's wrong. that's you want to talk about movies that people don't go back to. That's like a pretty common one. That's true. Yeah. I feel like if we're that's having this conversation, people. one of the biggest who doesn't love old Hollywood. The criteria is, I know you're a big Lala Land guy. One of the big criteria is like rewatchability. I think people really should it be. Should it be? I don't. I mean, no, in because we're we're rewarding the best is movie. Is Twelve of Years a, year. a Slave rewatchable? No, it shakes you to your core because it's beautiful art, and then you never want to watch it again. Okay. I I agree with that. I don't know, I, but I I do think like there's a whole. If I don't want to rewatch it, how could it have been the best movie of that year? That's like a camp, right? People live in that camp and they have this opinion. Yeah, you live in that camp and I don't. I don't live in that camp. Yes, you do. You're the king of that camp. <laughs> The rest of your subjects in that camp. <laughs> Let's get back to um, Charlie's decision to pick the social network. Eric. Yeah, I mean, I, I picked the social network, but I, I don't dislike... I still love the King's Speech in every way. And I, th- I still think it's arbitrary to, to give out awards for whatever we're doing. What? So what's the key factor that made you decide against the King's Speech? If you look at the definition through the lens at which you guys are looking through the definition, you talk about the, the timeliness, the rewatchability, as, what's, what's as, your well, definition? as well as the achievement. Give it, your definition is just achievement. Can, can we re-award films after the fact? They are, they are things that happen in the moment. Yes, we're re-awarding them right now on the tour. That's true. That is what we're doing. Yeah. You've re- uninvalidated our. I, I said that at the beginning. I don't. I don't agree with the process of what we're doing. But I was asked to be here, and I accepted. <laughs> so I, you, I said you, the king's speech. You've already won. What the fuck do you want? You want to take a victory lap? Go ahead. No. Take the stage. I don't want a victory lap. Then tell well, me, Eric. Do you do you agree that social network should should win this year? So is your opinion that 
the best picture winner can never be wrong. No. Because there, there are movies that we decided we decided in you know this year that The King's Speech was the best movie. Yeah, I, I'm on record as giving out my best picture to other movies at different points in time, and they weren't the same best picture as The Academy. But I think that reflects the time at which it was given, which is what the award is. But but we we remember this year. That's I think the difference. Like we could have we could have done this for like 1975, right? That, that's like a famous Oscar year. But we wouldn't. We could watch those movies, and we would watch them independent of the context in which they were released. And I think that's probably one of the most important things that. So exactly. So that's what we're doing right now. We we rewatch these movies and we're re giving out the awards today through our 2020 vision. And I'm saying like rewatching this from 2020, I think it's it doesn't have the same impact that it did in 2010. Well, you're the one who's changed his mind. I have been. Team Social Network since 2010. That's because you are biased and you don't change your opinion. <laughs> well, that just means I've I've consistent and I had the feeling in 2010 and I have the feeling in 2020. So there's your victory lap. Is that it? This is this is the. I'm album. just saying if we're talking about like logical decisions, I think mine is very sound. I was in in the year when it came out and I understood all of the, you know, context around it, and ten years later, I'm still in on it and what else is there to say congratulations <laughs> congratulations is that what you want i just want to know why you flip-flopped i already explained it i think watch <laughs> watching it today i think the i i can see why the king's speech is perhaps not as original of a film as it is today and the social network is still different than anything it's still like more original I think the, I think you go toe to toe. Like we already said the the scripts, the acting, everything everything between these two movies is superb. And what is are we really like picking? What's more? What's a better story? You know, it, like what the fuck are we doing? Like you're deciding whether one story is better than another story. Yes. They're they're, they're different. They're different emotions. They they tell different things. Yep. That's all I gotta fucking say. I'm I'm so done with this podcast. <laughs> well, that's it. Um, we want to say thank you to Mr. Charles for begrudgingly uh, coming onto our podcast and giving us uh, his opinions on the social networking <laughs> king speech. He is so upset. Uh, can I say one more thing? <laughs> sure. If we're done, we fuck, are done. Fuck Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> He's awful. He's not talented. You want to be real right now? He's not a talented actor. I can't believe. And if he ever comes on this show, fuck him. <laughs> well, um, we're still in constant contact with Shia. Uh, he has not agreed or disagreed. Fuck you, Shia. To go on to the podcast. Hack. But he will come soon, so we'll see. Maybe we'll have you as another guest. I'll go toe-to-toe with Shia. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, is there anything you want to say? I, I don't think so. Okay. I think all that's been said has been said. See you guys next time. I'm not a psychiatrist, but... I'm glad we've got that on the record. You're not a psychiatrist, but what? A psychiatrist would say that he was paranoid. They'll hire private detectives who will follow you day and night. You're a target for high-priced escorts. I can't prove it, but I know they tap my phones. Whatever it is that's gonna trip you up, you've done already. Private behavior is a relic of a time gone by, and if somehow, someway, you've managed to live your life like the Dalai Lama, they'll make shit up, because they don't want you. They want your idea, and they want you to say thank you while you... Excuse me.
Wipe your chin and walk away. That's what happened to you? And delusional. Yes, but there'll be payback in case. I brought down the record companies with Napster and case will suffer for their sins oh, too. You, sorry, you, you, didn't, you didn't bring down the record companies. They won. In court? Yeah. You wanna buy a Tower Records, Eduardo? And he told story after story about life in Silicon Valley and parties at Stanford and down in LA and friends who become millionaires. But mostly how Mark had to, he had to come to California. And then he cut around to the Facebook. So, tell me about your progress. Well, we're in 29 schools now. We got over 75,000 men. Tell me about the strategy you're using. Okay. Uh, for instance, we wanted Baylor in Texas, but Baylor already had a social network on campus, so instead of going right after them, we made a list of every school within 100 miles. You put the Facebook on those campuses first. Pretty soon all the Baylor kids were seeing their friends on our site. We were in. It's called the Little Bitcoin. That's smart, Mark. Oh, thanks. That was mine. Easy. Hey, you know what? Settle an argument for us. I say it's time to start making money from the Facebook, but Mark doesn't want to advertise you. Who's right? Well, neither of you yet. The Facebook is cool, that's what it's got going for. Yeah. You don't want to ruin it with ads because ads aren't cool. Exactly. It's like you're throwing the greatest party on campus and someone's saying it's got to be over by 11. That's exactly right. You don't even know what the thing is yet. That's exactly How right. big it can get, how far it can go. This is no time to take your chips down. A million dollars isn't cool. You know what's cool? You? A billion dollars.